Good morning, church. Today, we are wrapping up our four-week series called Christ Fulfills. The first week of our series, Pastor Rob was up here, and he talked about how vital it is to understand the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how we must handle God's word correctly, because how we handle God's word and how we view God's word has ramifications, ultimately affecting how we think, feel, and live. Then Pastor Ben shared with us about how the Old Testament prepares us for Jesus, teaches us about Jesus, and shows us Jesus. We saw Nicodemus in his struggle with truth. And then last week, Pastor Rob talked about how Jesus existed before creation, created all things, and all things exist for him. How Jesus holds all things together. He is the head of the church, and he is preeminent in all things. Today, we are continuing that series, and we're going to be talking about how all of Scripture is connected, cohesive, and Christ-centered. We're going to be doing that by talking about how Jesus was and is the fulfillment of promises, prophecies, and pictures all through the Old Testament. Let's pray before we dig in. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your story that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and that we can worship you in response to who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be. We thank you that you are all-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful, God. We ask that you give us the eyes to see, the minds to comprehend, and the hearts to believe all that you have for us today. Amen. All right, we're going to be spending a lot of our morning in Luke 24, 13 through 35. But here's where we're at. So we get through the Old Testament, then we have Jesus, right? Jesus was born, Jesus grew up, Jesus did ministry, he performed miracles, he raised people from the dead, he did healings. There was a lot that happened in Jesus's life and ministry. Ultimately, we get to the end of Jesus's life and we see Jesus crucified, he died, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. Amen? We can, get, we can do better than that. Amen? Amen? Amen. So now we have his followers and disciples processing through what had happened over this last week. There was a lot that happened in Jerusalem. So they're processing through what happened, and a couple of ladies decided to go to the tomb. They brought spices with them to prepare Jesus' body. They get to the tomb, and the stone was already rolled away, so they go into the tomb, and they find that Jesus' body is not there. And there's two angels saying, Jesus is not here. He's risen. So these ladies, marveling at this, they run back to tell the disciples and the followers of Jesus what they just witnessed, what they just saw, the, new, the news that they just experienced. And a couple of the men then run, go, run and go and find the same thing. They find the stone rolled back. They find the tomb empty. They find the linen burial cloths there in the tomb. And they go home marveling and again testify to the people what they saw. So that's where we're at in this story. So two people from that group then begin the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk, so it took probably a couple hours, especially if you're sad and walking slow like these two were. So they begin their journey, and they're talking about everything that had happened in Jerusalem, everything about Jesus, because there was a lot that happened, and everybody was talking about it. It was the big news. Let's see what happens. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So this is already a pretty interesting start to this story. We have these two followers of Jesus who would begin this journey. They're talking about Jesus, and Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. That's pretty wild. And so Jesus says to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They felt the weight of what had happened in Jerusalem. They felt the weight of what happened when Jesus was crucified. They felt it and they knew it. So verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answers him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Cleopas is saying, everybody in Jerusalem knows what's going on. Every single visitor to Jerusalem knows exactly what is going on. Are you the only one that missed it? Little did he know, he's talking to Jesus who everything was surrounded, all the talk was surrounding Jesus, all the news was about Jesus. So verse 19, and he said to them, what things? I feel like Jesus might be trying to hide a smile or a smirk. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, that's about me. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. It's about you. But they didn't know it was about him, about Jesus of Nazareth. And so they start going through the story of what had happened. They say, verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So we get some insight into why they were so sad and what they were thinking, and we see this, and this is why they missed who Jesus was, is because they were looking for something else. They were looking for a Messiah that, that would come and redeem Israel from an oppressive Rome, and they missed that that was not who Jesus was, and that's not who Jesus, what, was, what Jesus was going to do when he was on the earth at this time. They said, yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So the truth of what happened is still sinking in. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So they were there when the women came back from the tomb and told them what they saw. And then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So as I'm looking through this passage, I'm like, why did these two leave Jerusalem after they had all of these testimonies that the tomb was empty? I don't know. But they did. So verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. So he's talking to these two, and these two would have known the Old Testament. They would have known the law. They would have known the prophets. They would have known it all but they missed it. They missed Jesus' fulfillment of it all. So Jesus continues, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So Jesus is saying, you know the law, you know the prophets, so was it not, it was necessary that Christ should suffer these things. It was necessary, it was a fulfillment of everything that was already written. Don't you see that? 
So then he goes on, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself. So if we think this is probably a couple hour long walk, seven miles, they're walking slowly. Jesus had quite a bit of time to go through the Old Testament. They already knew the Old Testament, so he's not showing them something new. They already knew the law. They already knew the prophets. They probably already knew the prophecies. They probably already knew it all. And so Jesus is walking with them. He's showing them in the Old Testament and then how what Jesus did while he was on earth was a fulfillment of everything that was written. He's putting the pieces together in their minds and it's clicking and it's making sense. So they drew near to the village to where they were going and Jesus acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So this whole journey... These two, they're walking with Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. They're telling Jesus about Jesus. Then Jesus goes to the Old Testament and tells them about Jesus. It's just a, it's a, I feel like when I tell stories, if I was trying to tell a story in third person, I'd definitely mix up first and third pronouns. I don't know if Jesus did. I'm guessing he probably didn't, but it would have been interesting. So Jesus finally reveals who he is and then he vanishes from their sight. I know that if I were sitting at the table, I'd be like, man, Jesus, couldn't you have stayed for just like a few more minutes now that we knew it was you so that we could have asked some questions? But no, he disappeared. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And then they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So these two had walked all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They sit down at the table. Jesus reveals who he is. Now they get up the same hour and walk all the way back to Jerusalem. It may have been dark by this point because they, were, they told Jesus it was getting close to evening. So they may have been walking in the dark, but they knew that they had to get back to tell the disciples and the followers of Jesus what they just found out. That they had just walked with Jesus and that Jesus put the pieces together for them. So they rose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So we have this incredible story where Jesus himself is explaining to these two that in order to understand the New Testament, in order to understand what Jesus did, they needed to understand the Old Testament. They needed to know the law and the prophets. And these individuals would have known it, but Jesus took the time to go through and connect the Old Testament to himself. He showed them how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament that they already knew. He then reveals who he is, and he disappears. But by this point, they understood they understood. So these believers, probably in shock and excitement at this new understanding, in the same hour decided to go back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the followers what they just witnessed. And then as they're telling this story, they're in the middle of telling the story, and Jesus shows up again. 
See that in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. So right in the middle of telling this story and Jesus shows up. She's like, oh yeah, that's, that's Jesus who we, were, we just saw in Emmaus and we were just talking about him and now he's here. Add some credibility to your testimony. So verse 44, Jesus said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus talked about that during his earthly ministry, but here he is, already fulfilled it, and now he's saying, everything written in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled, and I fulfilled it. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are a witness of these things. Jesus knew and fully understood the connection between the Old Testament and his fulfillment of it. And he was making the connection for these people. In this series, we really wanted to emphasize the cohesiveness of Scripture, the connectedness of Scripture, and the Christ-centeredness of Scripture. So to understand how deeply connected Scripture is, I want to show you a picture. This picture illustrates the connections through the Bible. Here it is. I think. Maybe. I guess I'll describe it before it gets up there. All right, you're about to see a picture. <laughs> this, is, this is good. You're about to see a picture. And in this, this picture illustrates the connections throughout Scripture. You'll see on the bottom, there it is. We got it. Look at this picture. On the bottom, you see different colors. Those are different books of the Bible. Each of the lines are different chapters in the Bible. You see that super long line in the middle? That's Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And you see all of these lines. These are all connections through Scripture. The different colors of the different arches display distance. And so we have connections from beginning to end, middle to end, beginning to middle. We have connections everywhere. And if you were, this, there's a pretty high quality image of this out there. If you were to zoom in, you'd see that there are so many lines on here, so many connections all through scripture. There are 63,779 lines on this picture. That is how connected God's word is. But some people, even today, will tell you that the Old Testament is not important. But as we've already dug in, we've seen how even Jesus, post-resurrection, emphasize the need to understand the Old Testament in order to understand the new. If you were to take this and cut off the Old Testament, you're missing so much. So much. Jesus saturates the meta-narrative of the Bible. Who Jesus is matters, and we need to know who Jesus is, and the Old Testament tells us who Jesus is. The Old Testament gives us the knowledge we need to understand who Jesus is. 
We cannot understand the depths of what happened on the cross until we understand the depths of what happened in God's original creation of mankind. We cannot understand the depths of what happened on the cross until we understand the depths of what happened in the garden when mankind rebelled against God and sin entered the world. We cannot understand the depths of what happened on the cross until we understand the depths of this sacrificial system seen through the Old Testament. There are things that we can understand in the New Testament, but the depth of our understanding of the New Testament directly correlates to our depth of understanding of the Old. This is why when you get in the New Testament and you get into the book of Acts, you see people coming to faith by the thousands. It's because they already knew the Old Testament. They already knew the law. They already knew the prophets. They already knew. So when you get to post-Jesus' resurrection, all you need to do is make the connection. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they were looking for, of everything they anticipated, of everything that they hoped for. He was already here. So we talk about the Old Testament. We're talking about the first half-ish of your Bible, Genesis through Malachi, 39 books. The New Testament is Matthew through Revelation, 27 books, so it's pre-Christ, post-Christ. The Old Testament is filled with lots of different types of books. We have law, we have historical books, we have poetry and wisdom books, and we have prophetical books. So today, as we're talking about the connectedness of Scripture, one of the ways that Jesus connected himself to the Old Testament, and one of those big connections we see, is prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a foretelling or prediction of what is to come, or divinely inspired utterance or revelation. The prophecies that Jesus fulfilled testify to who he was and declare praise to a God who is in control. I don't know about you, but I find prophecy very intriguing. Before we get into prophecies, I want want to put a little disclaimer here that some people will try and discredit prophets in the Old Testament saying that if enough people guess enough times, somebody's bound to get something right sometime, right? That makes logical sense. That's not how it worked. Today, anybody can make any claim to whatever they want, and it doesn't matter, right? We, could, we have people who make claims to when Jesus is coming back, and then Jesus doesn't come back, and everyone forgets. Back then, it wasn't taken lightly for somebody to claim to be a prophet, If somebody claimed to be a prophet, they would be publicly tested. They would be required to make a prophecy of something specific, something observable, and something soon. So if that prophecy came true, they would be allowed to live. Not a bad deal. But if that prophecy did not come true or wasn't perfect, they would be stoned to death. No longer a good deal. I don't like those odds. I'll pass. So what we have is we don't have a bunch of people making guesses. We have people who are hearing from God about what was to come. Now, there's a lot of prophecy in the Bible, and Jesus fulfilled a lot of prophecies. So we're going to talk about eight to start. 
okay? We can handle eight. I think we can handle eight and still get out in normal time. If we start adding prophecies, we might be here for more days. <laughs> Prophecy number one. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. Prophecy two. Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Three. Of the tribe of Judah. Four. Worshipped and presented gifts by shepherds and kings. Five. Preceded by a messenger. Six. Betrayed by a friend. Seven, Messiah is to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And eight, Messiah is to be executed by crucifixion as a thief. So those are pretty specific prophecies, right? So let's talk about the statistical odds of fulfilling prophecy. What's the chances of somebody fulfilling prophecy? So we're going to stick to our eight. We'll start small, just eight prophecies. Okay, I didn't do this math. Somebody else did. Professor Peter Stoner was chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the Science Division at Westmount College. He's probably a smart guy. Before we get into numbers, if you're wondering whether his math was right, H. Harold Hartzler, PhD of the American Scientific Affiliation, wrote in the foreword of his book, the mathematical analysis included is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound and he has applied them in a proper and convincing way. All right, so these are validated numbers. So what are these numbers? The probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies is one in 10 to the power of 17. 10 to the power of 17 or 100 quadrillion. What does that number look like? Right here. There we go. That's 100 quadrillion. Let me give you an example of that number. Because it's hard for our, our minds to grasp some of these giant numbers, right? This is a silver dollar. If you took 100 quadrillion silver dollars, it would cover the entire state of Texas, two feet deep. Yeah, that's a big number. So the statistical probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is the same chance as if you marked one coin, mixed it up in the whole state of Texas, blindfolded somebody, dropped them off somewhere, and on their first try, they picked up the right coin. That's the statistical probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies. There are almost 335 million people that live in the U.S. right now. So if all 335 million people went to Texas and started picking up coins, everyone would have to pick up 300 million coins. That's a big number. That's more coins than I can hold. But that's only eight prophecies. And every time you add a prophecy, it gets exponentially more difficult to fulfill prophecy. So we're going to go bigger. Is anyone feeling overwhelmed yet? Yeah. Don't worry. We're going to go bigger. We're going to go way bigger. Statisticians will tell you once you get past the 50th zero, you've gone past the reality of there being any chance. It's not going to happen. So that number, it's too small. 
Hydrogen atoms are the simplest atoms in nature. There are approximately 10 to the power of 80 hydrogen atoms in the entire universe. That number, still too small. So we're going to go from 8 to 48 prophecies. Okay, so we're just adding 40. I'm not going to read through the, the next 40, but 48 prophecies. The probability of one man fulfilling 48 prophecies is 1 in 10 to the power of 157. I don't want to say that name out loud, but I'm going to. It's 10 unquinquagintillion. I was not looking forward to that all week. This is what that number looks like. That is a lot of zeros. Our God is huge. Amen? Now, Jesus didn't only fulfill eight or 48 prophecies, but well over 300 prophecies. Praise the Lord. There is no mathematical number or equation or example that we could even come up with to explain that. It's so far out there. So what it tells us is that this isn't chance. This isn't luck. It isn't even an elaborate or deliberate plan to attempt to fulfill prophecy. This is completely God-designed and God-ordained. This is insane. But what's amazing is that the same God that spoke everything into existence in the, when he created all things, in Genesis, the same God who promised all of these things about the coming Messiah, the same God that fulfilled all these things in the Messiah, sent Jesus to die for us. The same God who did all of this knows how many hairs are on your head. And the same God has always desired a relationship with mankind. We see in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve in a perfect environment in a relationship with himself. And we see God walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is what was meant to be. But then Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against God and their relationship with God was broken. And instead of God destroying mankind and starting over, God pursued Adam and Eve. He provided a temporary covering while promising the eternal one. And then throughout history, we see God pursue mankind. So we saw it with Adam and Eve, and we see it with Noah, and we see it with Abraham, we see it with Moses, we see it with Israel, we see it all the way through. And we see this cycle with Israel. God's purpose with Israel was that Israel would be a lighthouse to the world, right? God was going to bless Israel, and through Israel would bless the world. Israel was supposed to be his beacon of light and of hope. 
But Israel, in the midst of the miracles and everything that God was doing in their midst, would turn away and worship false gods and false idols. And then God would have to pursue them, discipline them, restore them, and he would bless them again. And we see this cycle over and over and over and over and over through the Old Testament. It seems to never end. But what it shows us today is that God's pursuit and love for mankind is never ending. We get through the end of the Old Testament and then we see Jesus who had been prophesied for years, the promised redeemer came, dying our death and rose from the dead victorious. The ultimate example of God's love for us. Amen? Let's jump to Matthew 16 as we wrap up. Sixteen through, 13 through 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus wasn't looking for Simon Peter to come up with his own definition of who, God, of who Jesus was. Jesus was looking for Simon Peter to acknowledge what was already true. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies, promises, and pictures through the Old Testament. All of scripture is cohesive, Christ-centered. All of scripture. John 5, 24 says, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He's passed from death to life. If you never made the decision to follow Jesus, now is that time. And if you've already made that decision, let's leave today in awe of the incredible God that we serve.